Let's uh, turn in our Bible, shall we, to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. Um, we're going to read from verse number 24. In fact, we're going to go back to verse, uh, verse number 23, please, Rodney. And it's on the screen as well, if you wish to use that. So read, read uh, Mark chapter 13, reading from verse number 23, um, down to the end of the chapter. And this is what God says. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days... After that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. If you've uh, driven uh, down some of the big motorways uh, in England uh, late at night, uh, you will know that they frequently warn you uh, on the roads with a sign uh, of a very real danger. That's the danger of falling asleep at the wheel. Uh, it says, tiredness can kill. It says, take a break. Uh, it reminds you to, to use the next service station uh, for a short walk, uh, to, to buy a coffee or a drink, to, to get some caffeine into you, because you don't want to fall asleep on the motorway if you're at the wheel. If you work on sociable hours, and some of you do, if you do late night shifts, if you work outside all the time, and some of you do that, or if you have children who like to keep you up at night, uh, it can be difficult in the heat of uh, the church uh, building uh, to stay awake. I know that. And more people than you'd think nod off. But you wouldn't dare do that this morning, would you? But we really must stay awake when it comes to God's word. Now, this morning we're, we're in the third of, of three sermons in, in Mark chapter 13, a, a chapter which deals with the return of the Lord Jesus. Notice, firstly, the promise of his coming, verses 24 to 27. It's that first section, if your Bible is divided up like mine, it's the first section. And, and I, I talked about um, how, uh, last week, I, I talked about how we shouldn't fall out uh, over end times views, amongst other things. 
How we shouldn't insist on our view as if it's the only acceptable one. But the other equal and opposite danger is is here too. That we ignore the return of Jesus altogether. That's possible. That that we sort of take a a kind of fourth position. uh, Not pre, post or a, if you're into that sort of thing. But a a fourth position that someone has coined pan-millennial. In other words, I don't really get too concerned. It'll all pan out in the end. Or even worse, I don't really care. It'll all pan out in the end. To almost forget about the whole second coming thing even, or to just, just, just to sort of get on with our lives in the here and now. Sure, it's, sure, it's speculative. It's pie in the sky. We've, we've plenty to be getting on with the, with the practical instruction that's clear in the Bible. To ignore any sign of it as unworthy of consideration or, or time to, to yawn in church at the very idea of a, of a sermon on the second coming of Christ. James Edwards, he writes a commentary on this, on Mark's gospel, says this, the misuse of eschatology, not least in contemporary America, you could read the West there, has resulted in a virtual eclipse of eschatology in the life of the church. In other words, This topic is uncommon now. Abuse has turned to neglect. Uh, End time sermons every week has turned into end time sermons no weeks. But to sleepwalk through life without thinking about the end of our world is very foolish indeed and far worse. Jesus' story is one story. It's, it's incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and return. And if you miss out the last part, you miss out part of the whole. Also, we, we lose uh, the, the sense of, of why we care that things aren't right in our world, in our body, in our society. If we do that, if we cut off the end. The reason we care that things are not as they should uh, is, is, is the very longing for a better day, for the coming of Christ, uh, to do it. Uh, we lose that perspective for, for why the world is the way it is or, or why we care less if we ignore the second coming of Christ. For in the second coming, we have both the explanation and the remedy for a broken world. The explanation of of why it annoys us when when things break, when relationships go sour, why it frustrates us immensely when people die too young or die old even. It's why we can't just go all atheist, you know, and say, random chance universe, my brother just got hit by a car this morning. Emotionless, stoic. Random chance universe, I just got news that I have a month to live. Big deal. See, nobody really does that, but they're supposed to if they're consistent. No, it it floors us. It, it, It annoys us because deep down, we know it shouldn't be like this. Eternity is in our hearts. We long for the perfect world, every one of us. And the remedy to this broken world, this broken, distraught, tear-each-other-apart world, is the second coming, for it's the second coming of the one who will end all sorrow and distress, who will right every wrong, who brings the dawning of the perfect world, a world where he is worshipped by all as king and lord. 
It's both the explanation and the remedy, you see? That's why you shouldn't sleepwalk through life as a, as a Christian without thinking of the final day. You need this perspective. For it's the, it's the only one that makes sense of the world where you live. It's the only one that gives you the categories to understand what's going on. Everyone else is, is either con- inconsistent in their way of living or, or confused entirely. And there's lots of confused entirely people. And so it's good that we spend these three sermons in a row in Mark chapter 13, this is number three, on this very important topic. Even if you aren't a fan of eschatology. That's the doctrine of the end times, if you don't know that word. It's not just here, of course, in Mark chapter 13. Jesus repeatedly, repeatedly tells us that he's coming back. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, he says in Matthew 24, verse 27. And Revelation 1, verse 7, Chris read it this morning. Jesus' words too, of course, the whole Bible are Jesus' words. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. And so that should mark our lives. That should impact how we live our lives. That should give us focus, indeed closure, when our lives in this place can only ever be temporary. It teaches us where to turn when things are are tough or, or a struggle. And where to place things that are a real joy. As a as a foretaste. A foretaste. Jesus has promised tribulation in this chapter, great and terrible tribulation in the world. But the expectation of distress and suffering and death is not the full stop to human history. Do you know that every time they make a film about the future, it always ends up going sour and sort of, you know, the utopia turns into disaster, doesn't it? Think about it. They always end up making it that we wreck the place. Ever wonder why that is? Ever think that that maybe is in some way what we expect to be? (laughs) No, but that's not the end. (laughs) You see? That's not the end and that's not the full stop to human history. No, no. The Son of Man will return. This is not pie in the sky, but he will return in the clouds, in the sky. Do you ever look at the clouds? There's plenty of them today. They're, They're raining heavy. Maybe, I don't know, maybe on a walk up on Cave Hill or something, you get to see the clouds or, I don't know, lying on a sun lounger on, on Costa del anywhere. We'd take anywhere, wouldn't we? <laughs> watching, them, watching them moving around slowly as you look at the fluffy ones, you know, and you can sort of make shapes out of some of them. Maybe you do that. And you remind yourself before you doze off that Jesus is coming back one day in those clouds. And he'll come back with great spectacle, with great power, with great glory, God's word says. And each of the vital points of Jesus' earthly existence, well, notice that the whole starry sky, cosmos, you could call it, took notice. The sun, the stars, the moon. Think about, you know, the incarnation. Think about his birth, right? We'll be there in a matter of weeks. What happens? The wise men follow the star. The stars take notice. What happens at the cross? Well, he 
when he's dying for the sins of mankind. The sun is darkened in the middle of the day for three hours from, from 12 noon until 3. The sun takes notice. And here at his second coming, we have plenty of cosmic fireworks. The stars will be falling from heaven, we read. Verse 24, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the power in the heavens will be shaken. That's powerful, isn't it? No one's going to sleep through this as the powers in the heavens will be shaken. People who read the stars and do horoscopes, they think that, that the stars and the planets sort of influence human affairs, don't they? But at the end of time, all such imaginary notions will be wiped away as the stars fall from the sky, as the planets are rocked. This is a vision of total cosmic collapse. This is the, this is the worst of horror. This is scary, right? This is scary. This is run to the mountains and beg them to fall on us and for the hills to cover us. Scary. Scary if, if someone hadn't told you about it beforehand that you can trust. Scary if your saviour wasn't on the way soon. But of course he is. And that's the great Christian hope and assurance, isn't it? For then, the great rescuer that he is, in the clouds he comes, it's Jesus, it's the Son of Man. And there's plenty of Old Testament references here in the first five verses of our passage from verse 24 to 27. If you're a, if you're a good Jew who'd studied and, and listened well, 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 clouds, well, they remind you of, of Mount Sinai. They remind you of, of when, when, when Moses received the law, the, the, the Ten Commandments, and, and, and the whole mountain was covered in cloud, and, and it speaks of glory. It speaks of glory. The glory of God. Where the presence of God is obvious. If you're, if you're awake in the synagogue when the, when the sermon was on, right, sooner or later you're going to hear a sermon on, on Daniel chapter 7. When, when, it, when it says this, I, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man who came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. There's plenty of Old Testament reference here. In these uh, sort of three sections today, I've got three points, there's three sections. There's, there's, there's a parable that Jesus uses, or, or a reminder of a parable that, that he's using to teach something important about his second coming. Here in the first section from verse 24 to 27, it's the idea of a harvest, isn't it? And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. It's the, the gathering in. It, that's a, a sort of parable there that reminds us of, of several other farming parables that we looked at in Mark uh, already. Uh, in chapter 4, there, there are two of them. There's the parable of the soils. And then there's the parable of the growing seed. And in that parable, harvest is actually mentioned. When, when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We, look at, we looked at what is known as the parable of the weeds over the summer. We had a series then on Jesus' parables. And in Matthew 13, Jesus is explaining this to him. And this is what he says. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. 
So we have this idea of the gathering in of the believers, the elect, as he calls them here again, separating the wheat from the chaff at harvest time. Uh, They've been living together, growing together in the field, in the world, and now they're going to be separated at the end of the age. And he'll send his angels to gather them in. And the sickle comes, and that reminds us of that popular culture image, doesn't it? That Halloween image of the reaper who brings grim news to some. Dark and terrible, but yet to others it's the best news. It's not judgment, it's rescue. And they're going to be gathered from the four winds, from north, south, east, and west, from the, every corner of planet Earth, every tribe and language and nation. And those who have died will be raised first. They will rise first, says First Thessalonians. The dead in Christ will rise first. And his followers will rise to meet him in the air. Think about that day. Because that comes as the great antidote to the world and all its troubles. It comes as great relief to the faithful follower. Secondly, notice assurance in his words. Verses 28 to 31. But but can we believe him? That's the question. I mean, it all seems a bit far-fetched. I mean, if you saw this sort of thing on the television, you'd say, well, it's a good show, but it's a bit far-fetched. Yeah? I mean, just, just take the Christians to heaven when they die and say no more about it. Just, just take us at that point to a better place where we can float in the clouds. Yeah? But no. No. No, it, it, it's coming, right? And it's coming to a world where you live in, right? But, but the event is so big and so important that it impacts the very fabric of the cosmos, the stars and the sun and the moon, and its impact is so big that every eye will see it. There's nothing quiet about it. It's a massive spectacle. What is coming is the second coming, rewards and recompense and renewal, uh, renewal for us, yes, but far more besides. The stars in the skies are going to fall apart in the trouble. The cosmos and the earth is going to fall apart in that sense, and Jesus is coming to renew it. Creation awaits. That's what we, we heard sung this morning. It's a great song, by the way. I'm going to be asking Alexa about that later. Great song. Wonderful truth. And just to show us nature, the world, is very much involved, we have our second parable. It's all about a fig tree. I don't know if you have your Christmas tree up or not yet. There's a few popping up yesterday. I noticed it as I drove around last night. It's earlier than ever this year for some. I guess people are struggling to find much to do. We experimented with a real tree for one year, but we won't be going back. I don't think. They don't tell you uh, when you buy it uh, that the water has to be put onto the tree to to keep it going on life support for a month. Uh, They don't tell you about the shedding of the needles. But that's the point here, isn't it? There are lots of different trees to get in the ancient Near East, you know, in in, in Israel. Olives and almond trees and terebinths. but, uh, But they don't shed their leaves in winter. Uh, Evergreen trees don't do that. They aren't supposed to, unless they're dead, like your Christmas tree, uh, which is dying before you. That's what's happening, right? But but the fig tree, the fig tree is not an evergreen tree. It's different. Uh, Jesus uses it as an example. 
a parable of sorts. Fig trees lose their leaves in winter. And it waits a long time until it buds in spring. In other words, the fig tree is a really good season indicator. It's like a calendar for the seasons. But of course, it's not that accurate. You know, it's like a sundial. You know, you sort of have to guess a wee bit. I don't know what, quite what time it is, but it's roughly, you know. It's like a calendar for the seasons, a fig tree, because, because it doesn't shed the, tr- the leaves on the 21st of December, uh, and it doesn't bud on the 21st of March right on the spot when winter comes, when, when spring comes, if that's exactly when it is. No, it just shows nearness, doesn't it? Nearness. It's roughly. It's roughly there. It's not exactly uh, an indicator of winter or spring. So you still need to stay awake, even when you see the sign. That's the idea. You still need to stay awake, even when you see the sign. And again, we've been here before, haven't we? We've, we've had a fig tree in Mark before, remember? Jesus curses the fig tree. It's chapter 11. He, he, he uses it as a, a kind of picture of the, of the temple and how he comes to, this, it's about to be destroyed because that whole system, that whole Old Testament way, that old covenant is going to be replaced, is going to be uh, fulfilled even in Jesus. And he curses it and it never bears fruit again. Jesus has, spoken, has just spoken of, of the coming of the Son of Man. And now in verse 28, he again uses this image of a fig tree. But I want, I want you to remember that last week we spoke about the difference between two little phrases in this chapter that's very important. We had these things and those days. Okay, These things and those days. And how that helps us as we make our way through this chapter, where Jesus is seemingly speaking about two different things often blended together, and that's quite complicated, okay? So he he speaks about the the coming destruction of Jerusalem in in AD 70, which is 35, 40-odd years uh, time from the point of view of, of, of where he's speaking. And he also speaks about the end of the world. And these things is used to talk about the former, to talk about the destruction of the temple in 35 or 40 years. So look at verse 4. These things refers to temple destruction. This is chapter 13, right? These things will be. Verse 8. These things are the beginning of birth pains. That's again, he's talking about the, 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 the very near um, temple destruction. And then four times those days are mentioned, particularly in the passage we looked at last week, verse 17, verse 19, uh, verse 20, those days. Again, he's talking about the end of the world. And here in our passage, verse 24, but in those days, after the tribulation, end of the world, right? So it helps us to sort of tell what he's talking about. But when Jesus speaks about the, the fig tree, look at verse 29. So also when you see these things, right? you know he's again talking about the 35 to 40 years time event that's going to come to his immediate audience. Now look at verse 30, it confirms this. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place, which tells you he's speaking about that, okay? He switched back to the near future, in other words, from verse 28 to 31, okay? He's talking about something near future. Remember, 
his words come to the disciples, the, the immediate audience before they come to us. There's like, there's like a queue when it comes to the, you've queued a lot recently, right? There's like a queue when it comes to the Bible. It, it, it comes to them first and then we're further down the line, okay? It's them first. And so he, he speaks and these words mean something to them. And yet they mean something to us too because in these near future 35 or 40 years time events, there lies a precursor to the end of the whole world. So we've got many tribulation, many antichrist, many gospel to the nations, many desolation, coming major tribulation, coming major antichrist, coming major gospel expansion to the nations, coming major desolation in the world. You see? Jesus says to them that the summer is near in verse 28. These things are near, well, because they're 35 or 40 years away, but also there's a nearness because the end is always near. Because, as we discussed, these things come right through the days between his two comings, right up to those days at the end. A nearness that's important because we always ought to keep the second coming on the first page of our priority list. An urgency, a suddenness, a need to think about this often about the second coming that we need as we live our lives, as we seek to make sense of all of our experiences on any given day, right? Experiences of joy, of loss, of happiness, of trouble. Right? You need the second coming to, to make sense of it. To explain why it matters to you, why it frustrates you, why it makes you want to maybe even lash out. To explain why there's that desire for things to be made right in you. Forever, for they will be. I wonder how often you think about the second coming of Christ. Because you need it to interpret your life through that lens. That's what Christians are to do. It's important. It's near because it's how we're to live now. You see? That's a challenge now. That's a big challenge. That's a big challenge to me. Am Am I too worldly? That's the question. Am I making too much of my time here and now that that I forget? Am I so distracted by this or by that that I lose my way? Am I so comfortable that I'm just living like an unbeliever with a few Christian nods thrown in? Jesus assures them with his words, and he assures us that what he is saying is not pie in the sky. Yes, he's coming in the clouds, but that there's a clear earth reality to these things. There's a big, big news story coming one day. There's a big, big spectacle coming. And look how he qualifies his promises. Look at verse 30. Truly, I say to you, verse 31, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, that's some statement, isn't it? Jesus is speaking about the Son of Man coming then he identifies his words with great authority. To say that his words 
will outlive heaven and earth is a really remarkable claim. He's really giving his words incredible authority and punch, isn't he? I used to wonder about this verse as a wee lad. Um, I mean, how can heaven pass away, were my thoughts. How can that be? Surely that is where we're going. Surely that's a permanent place. Yeah? You with me? That's good. You're all awake. It's great. Doing well. The earth can pass away all it likes, but, but not, not, not heaven. <laughs> you see? Not heaven, surely. We need to clarify, okay? This heaven is the same heaven where the stars are falling from in verse 25. You see? It's the same word. It's the night sky. So it's not the heaven where your loved one is. But the heaven where your loved one is is not the final place either. You know that? The permanent place for God's people is in the new heavens and the new earth. The new Jerusalem. Uh, Revelation 21. This place, right? Listen to this. Uh, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Heaven and earth passes away, but not my word, right? And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God will himself, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When God dwells with his people there, where, where we live with, with Jesus, it, it's, it's a physical place, isn't it? A place where you, you have a physical body, just like, just like Jesus has a physical body. A, a renewed earth where, where we will live, a remade earth where we will live forever and reign with him, where we will serve him forever and ever, where the perfect world is that you long for every time this one gets to you. That's the reality. That's the earth reality of this. It's not pie in the sky at all. What will it be like? Oh, so many questions. And yet, and yet God in his wisdom leaves much of it to them to find out. But we do know that it will be wonderful beyond your wildest imaginings. It will be wonderful when he bursts through the clouds one fine day. And it will be wonderful to be with him as his people, with no more of the trouble of this place, no more tears, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no crying. All those things have gone. Finally, we see instruction in his humanity. This morning, verse 32 to 36, that final section, as Jesus brings chapter 13 to a close, he does so with a series of warnings. A warning that's actually repeated one way or another five times in this section. And it's the possibility that Christian believers will fall asleep as they wait. Verse 33, keep awake. Verse 34, stay awake. Verse 35, therefore, stay awake. Verse 36, lest he come quickly and find you asleep. And verse 37, stay awake. Did you hear it? It's very difficult to ignore. 
sometimes when you preach a passage, you, it's hard to work out what it's about to try and bring a kind of, you know, message that, 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 that's solid enough to, to, to represent the passage. But, 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 it, but it's what it's actually saying. It's obvious what this is saying. Isn't that right? And Jesus starts this section by reminding us that having a date circled on the calendar or in the diary isn't going to be the case for the second coming. We aren't going to know when Jesus will come back concerning that day or our, our no one knows. Okay? We aren't going to know when Jesus is coming back. We're going to need patience. And in what's a very interesting verse, he tells us that he isn't even going to know himself. He doesn't know himself. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And at that, we scratch our heads. I mean, hang on a minute. I thought the Son of Man came in the clouds of glory because he is God. And, and I thought his words would not pass away because his word is the very word of God. So how can God not know? Well, the answer lies in the nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He's 100% God and 100% man. He has two natures, in other words. A human nature and a divine nature. You and I have only one. And at any point in time, Jesus Christ acts out of one of those two natures. Let me give you an example. Walking on water. Divine nature. Sleeping. Human nature. Casting out demons. Divine nature. Not knowing everything. Human nature. God the Father, well, he knows because he's not limited by humanity. But when Jesus comes down as a baby, he's limited by humanity. He limits himself by becoming a man. And Jesus, what he is essentially saying here is I am just like you. I am just like you. You don't know the day or hour, and neither do I. He accepts his human limitations, and so must we. He, he can empathize with us. As, we, as he submits to the Father's will, we must submit to the Father's will. As we wait and don't know how long we're going to wait for, but the end is coming. Don't be asleep on the job. Stay alert. For he may come suddenly. It might be a while, as it turned out to be for, from the first disciples' perspective. There are, there are parables that Jesus tells in Matthew that suggest it might be a while. As they listen to Jesus here, they're not thinking it's going to be 2,000 years and more. But it turned out to be 2,000 years and more. Well, we're not quite at 2,000 yet, but you get the idea. But, but stay awake. This is a sudden and urgent business. Verse 33, be on your guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It, it's, it's so important that you need to think about it, whether you're in AD 33 or AD 2033. Jesus tells us a, a sort of fuller parable this time to explain this. He says in verse 34, it's like a man going on a journey. 
And when the man leaves, he, he puts his servants in charge. Uh, each has a job to do. Uh, each servant has work. Uh, there, there's, there's also a doorkeeper, and he is commanded to stay awake. He's not allowed to sleep. The doorkeeper, he's to watch. He's to live faithfully in the present day, being attentive to what his master has told him, to being attentive to his master's word, uh, to the instruction to stay awake. And the promise that he's given is that the master will return. If we're believers, then we're doorkeepers. But you have one job and one job only as a doorkeeper. Isn't that right? It's watch. It's, it's watch. That requires that you stay awake. That requires that you listen to, the, to, the, to his word that he's given. That, that requires that you remain faithful to your post. That requires that you live with, with the expectancy and the urgency that the master might return at any time. No, you don't, you don't sleep if you're a doorkeeper. You don't sleep like an unbeliever, like he's, like he's not coming back. Living like... It matters not if you share your faith or don't share your faith. If you seek to grow or don't seek to grow, it doesn't matter. No, no, that's not it. It matters. Get involved in local church. Don't get involved in local church. Matters not. It matters. It matters. His reward is with him when he comes. It matters. It might be the morning, AD 33. The rooster might have just crewed. It might be the evening, I don't know, A.D. 1500, something like that. It might be midnight, A.D. Well, I can't put a date on that. But either way, the end date is not known. But it will come suddenly, like a thief in the night. So we live in constant expectation, in constant readiness. We stay alert for he's coming in the clouds one day. I wonder what ways you need to change how you live your life to be more in that state of readiness. To make sure you're not asleep when he comes. May God, by his grace, enable that work. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray for a moment. Thank you, Father for the assurance of the word of Christ that he will return. Give us that state of readiness, the grace to be in that state of readiness, to not sleep as we serve the Lord here, as we be at the master's work, as we seek to be hardworking servants and not slothful or lazy. Give us that enabling grace to watch and wait with expectation to be good doorkeepers. In Jesus' name, amen.